Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. I really do hope you guys are up for a ride this evening, because you're about to go on one. Tonight's show is going to be incredible. I have a wide variety of calls to share with you guys, and I'm super anxious to get to it. But first, if you happen to be attending this year's Los Angeles Comic Con this coming weekend, consider stopping by the Paranormal Caught on Camera panel. I'll be joined by fellow co-stars Susan Slaughter and Sapphire Sandalo. The time is 5.30 p.m. on Saturday the 12th in room 404 AB. I certainly hope to see you guys there. And now, for the reason you're here to begin with, the stories. We're going to kick off the night with a little UFO mystery from the state of Texas. The following is Chloe's Call. Hi, Derek. Uh, this is Chloe from Texas. Don't really want to say the town because I'm a substitute teacher here and I don't want anybody thinking I'm loony. But um, so a couple years back, I uh, was driving to a friend's house you know, just kind of taking my time driving around. I live in a small town, so sometimes we just cruise the roads. There's not a whole lot to do out here. But um, I'm driving, and it's not like I'm in the middle of nowhere, you know. we Our town has about a 1,000 people in it, but, um, you know, it's it's not super rural. It's, it's suburbs. And uh, as I'm driving to Familiar Street, street I used to live on when I was a kid, I look up, up above this old house, and I see these three orange lights. And they weren't incandescent, like, street lights or bright, bright orange, like LEDs. They, they glowed like, like firelight, almost, like embers. And I'm looking at these lights, and, you know, it's late November, early December, about, it's 2016, you know. But right around Christmas time, so I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe some kid got an early Christmas present and he's flying a drone or something like that. I'm looking at these lights. And they're pretty close together, so it looks like whatever they're, whatever object they're on the bottom of can't be more than, you know, two or three feet across. And then out of nowhere, they spread out. They just kind of shoot out into a triangular formation, and suddenly this thing is... I... I don't know. It's, you know, it, it's got to be a hundred feet across. It's swallowing the sky over this house, and it's just black. You can't see the see the stars behind it you know and it's pretty clear out here so you can see 
you can see all the stars at night. There's not a lot of light pollution, but you couldn't see any of the stars behind whatever these lights were. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm kind of creeping along beside it, you know, having my Richard Dreyfus <laughs> close encounters moment, thinking I'm going to get a sunburn on half of my face in any moment. And uh, I'm looking up at it, thinking, surely I'm not looking at a UFO. Surely I'm not, you know. But I, I get this feeling that, I don't know, like it's it's looking back at me, you know, and all the hair on my arms stands up, and it feels like staticky, and, and it was just so quiet and still. None of the birds or, or locusts or crickets are making any sound anymore. And I'm following it, and it it's just kind of hovering. So I'm driving along beside it. It's just kind of hovering. And then it starts creeping along beside my car and just keeping pace with me, you know. It's just keeping pace. And at this point, I'm getting pretty freaked out and thinking, you know, I, I better go ahead and get on to my friend's house. And But I can't stop looking at it. And I can't shake the feeling that it's looking back at me, you know. And so um, I followed it for probably 100 yards, just cruising. We were going northbound on the street. And then all of a sudden, it just veers off and heads off towards the east. And I watched it until I couldn't see it anymore. It just kind of shrunk off into the horizon. And I I never told anybody about it. I just went on to my friend's house. And when she asked why I was late, I told her I had to go home because I forgot something. But, um, yeah, it was weird. After that, I had headaches for a while. Out of nowhere, like right behind my right eyebrow. And I, I don't know. It sounds crazy. But I couldn't shake the feeling that, Maybe I'd really seen something. Anyways, I love the show. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm sure I'll be calling back because this kind of crazy stuff seems to find me. But um, love what you're doing and keep it up. Thanks. Thank you, Chloe. A few of the elements you touched on reminded me of another UFO sighting from the state of Texas. An infamous encounter with serious implications. Of course, I'm speaking of the Cash Landrum incident. Vicki Landrum, along with her grandson, Kobe Lee, alleges that they, along with Betty Cash, were on their way home from a bingo game when they encountered something they had never seen before. The alleged event took place on December 28, 1980. Vicki and Kobe were driving in Betty's car on Highway 1485, 30 miles from the Houston airport and only 37 miles from NASA's American Space Headquarters. Kobe Lee saw a light, and uh, he kept asking us what the light was. And he kept pulling my face around and asking me, Mama, what is it? And I said, Honey, I don't know. And uh, uh, Betty said, I believe it's getting closer. And I said, Well, it kind of looks like it, but we had no idea that we were going to get hurt. I would say within an instant or so, all of us noticed it because it lit up the entire sky. There was no way you could have missed it. It looked like the woods were being set on fire. And uh, uh, inside the car, it was so hot till my handprint is yet on the dashboard of Betty's car. They got out on their side of the car. I stepped out on mine. I stood behind the car door for just a second or so, and I walked toward the front of the automobile. I stood there 
for just a short time, I don't know how long, trying to see what I could figure this object out to be. It was diamond shaped. It didn't mean it was sharp up here and sharp down here. It was kind of round and the fire come out the bottom of it. But here was this huge object and flames shooting from it. And they weren't just small flames. They were gushing from it. And Kobe was hanging on to me. And I, he was trying to get, uh, he started pulling away from me and I pushed him back in the car and I got inside the car and put my arm around him and hugged him up real close to me. We thought it was the end of time. I says, uh, um, Kobe, don't be afraid. I said, if uh, you see a man, it'll be Jesus. And I said, he will come to carry us to a better place. He will not hurt you. It was just burning. It was just too much heat. I could not tolerate it. So Vicky screamed and begged for me to get back in the car. Well, I did, but I had to use the end of my leather jacket in order to open my car door to get back in. That's just how hot it was. And when the object lifted and slowly moved over to the right of us, her and Kobe saw some helicopters. There were so many of them, it sounded like a tornado. And we counted 23. I counted 22, really. But Kobe said, there's one more. And I said, yeah, baby, that makes 23. And there were helicopters on both sides and also over the top of the object or like they were trying to hem it in. The only apparent proof the women have for what happened to them is the illness they claim they suffered as a result of the encounter. It is the record of these illnesses that made this an encounter of the second kind. My eyes were burned so till they would uh, swell and they were uh, tearing till I could lay down at night and the next morning my pillow would be completely wet and I couldn't, I couldn't hardly see anything. Vicki was treated for burns and she and Colby Lee suffered long periods of nausea. Betty Cash was hospitalized immediately after the event. She suffered severe hair loss and was also treated for burns and nausea. Since then, she has been hospitalized several times. It was the first time they went into the hospital they were treating us as burns. But then, after they found out really what had happened, then they started treating us as radioactive burns. And since, I have had cancer. Betty's hospital records do not explicitly state that she was treated for radioactive burns. They do state, however, that she exhibited the symptoms similar to someone who might have been exposed to a radioactive element. Betty further maintains that she had no cancer history previous to the alleged encounter. Her records do confirm, however, that she does now have the disease. No, I'm not well, by no means. I wish, I pray that I could be. I realized that that clip, a clip that comes from the 1985 HBO documentary, UFOs, What's Going On, was just a bit lengthy. But the claims by these two women were so incredible, I simply couldn't edit it down. Now, both women suffered greatly due to their experience. Betty even contracted cancer. 
Now, she died at the age of 71 in 1998, and Vicki Landrum in 07 at the age of 83, one day shy of her 84th birthday. Now, despite the fact that the women fought the military for years, they never received any sort of aid or even a single answer. So, Chloe, it sounds like you were right to have the concerns that you did. Otherwise, you might have suffered the same fate as those in the Cash Landrum incident. So thank you again for sharing that call. Now our next tale of the evening comes to us from an amazing artist. The following is Will's Call from Connecticut. Hey Derek, uh, this is Will from Connecticut. You may remember me. I uh, submitted some art for the Mirrored Men Art Contest uh, very recently. Um, anyways, I'm currently road tripping across America, <laughs> driving from Connecticut to Southern California. And I am now in a town in the middle of New Mexico, uh, in the middle of nowhere, in New Mexico, called like Tuckum Carry or something. And it's, uh, it's pretty much a ghost town. Like there's like 4,000 people. And I guess there's a lot more people back when like Route 66 was a thing. But uh, I just had my first paranormal experience last night, and um, I am getting the heck out of here as soon as I wrap up this call, actually. <laughs> I um, uh, got I checked into a motel, and it's, it's nice enough. It doesn't seem very old or anything, and uh, I, uh, I conk out like pretty early because I was driving all day yesterday. And um, in the middle of the night, I heard some noise in the bathroom, and the bathroom light was on and I turned all my, I know I turned all my lights off before I went to bed and I go into the bathroom and the water was running and the light was on. Here's the thing. It wasn't a normal light switch. Like this light was like set uh, It had like a timer dial and that timer dial had been turned. And at this point I had, been asleep for probably four hours or so and the, the maximum time limit on that thing is like 45 minutes or something I think and so I turned everything off and um, that spooked the hell out of me uh, my, my doors were locked you know, from the inside so it's not like anybody just came in and did it and for I don't know I feel like for the water to go on and the light to go on at the same time is really coincidental if it's some kind of like faulty wiring or something got up in the morning I spoke with the girl at the front desk and I go hey you know is this place haunted by any chance and she just kind of gave me this you know silent slow nod like yeah it's like it's a known thing anyways Derek I'm getting out of here uh, I got I got more driving to do but you're the man uh, I just wanted to share this with you have a good one Thank you, Will. I actually have the artwork that Will's talking about hung over the very desk I'm recording from. So thank you again, Will, for doing that amazing Mirrored Man art. Now, Will's story reminds me of a strange series of events that Sarah and I experienced on our last cross-country drive. We found ourselves in New Mexico on day two of three, headed back to California. On this particular night, we decided to get a hotel room to let ourselves and our three cats stretch our legs and maybe get a few hours of shut-eye 
we ended up at a terrible Motel 6. If I remember correctly, it was the only place for hours that would allow pets. Well, it was late, so we settled in, and just before we were about to fall asleep, our cat Jack, who we sadly lost earlier this summer, went bananas. He was pacing the floor, yowling, as if he was either looking for something or trying to get away from something. Behavior that we'd never seen in him in the six years that we had him. Tired and frustrated, Sarah and I did everything we could to get him to stop. But the only time he did is when I took him out of the room. So feeling a bit uneasy ourselves, we decided to just hit the road. So at 2 a.m., we were out of there. I did some googling and it turned out there was a couple of murders that took place in that very hotel just a few months prior. And to this very day, I still wonder exactly what it was Jack was picking up on. So thank you again, Will, for sharing your experience and keep up the amazing artwork. Now as it turns out, I have a very special treat for you guys. It is October after all. So I'll begin this with an original song, a song by Rob in Louisiana, a song about the infamous Mared Man. Their mouths, their mouths were too long. 
they turned around and looked at me, looked at me knowing that I was watching them. Still kind of chilled at my spine. That eerie, mirrored motion. Like there was one mind controlling all three of them. Now, as if that wasn't cool enough, Rob actually had a strange experience while writing and recording this very song. Here is his experience. Hi, I'm a longtime listener, first time caller, well, emailer. I'm writing to share a Mirrored Men song that I wrote and a weird encounter that goes along with it. So I'm a nighttime GED teacher at a local community college, but I also write songs and books and stories as often as I can. Well, last night I sat down to write and ended up having some weird events unfold. I live in New Orleans, Louisiana, in an industrial neighborhood with my fiance, Elise. We're getting married on October 26th in our front yard. We have two cats, Gator and Dandelion, and four chickens. We built the house ourselves, so it's pretty rickety, and it's at the nexus of two highways, a bayou drainage canal thing, and about 50 feet from the intersection of train tracks. It's a weird place, but it's ours. Life has been kind of crazy lately. Between the wedding and a dear friend going into a coma, which she just came out of, hallelujah. So I haven't been doing much writing, as I usually do. But I sat down around 10pm in the outhouse, slash recording shack, to play some guitar and see if anything clicks. It has been abnormally hot here, even for Louisiana like 95 degrees and 100% humidity at night in early October, so I was sweating pretty heavily. And I just started playing this bizarre riff. It was repetitive, kind of hypnotic, and a little off-key, but intentional-seeming, if that makes any sense. It's not like it was terribly outside the norm of what I usually play, but something felt weird in the air, and the riff put me in a very uncomfortable mood. I'm not sure how long I played it, but I was almost in a trance for a while. Eventually, without realizing what I was doing, I started repeating the same words over and over, like it was Jack Nicholas in The Shining or something. But instead of saying all work and no play, I was kind of half singing, one by one, two by two, three by three. Something about the number three. Call it my subconscious from listening to too much Monsters Among Us or just tapping into something else made me start to think about the mirrored men. Let me just say that the mirrored men stories hit this fear nexus in my brain like nothing else. I'm not really sure why, because I consider myself somewhat of an open skeptic. I've never had a spooky story scare me quite the same way that the mirrored men ones do. So there I am, just playing that phrase over and over, one by one, two by two, three by three, and I decide to write a mirrored men song. I should preface by saying that the outside bathroom recording studio is pretty rickety, uninsulated, and you can hear everything outside through the walls. If a cockroach were to skitter by, I would hear it inside. Well, for some reason, I suddenly stopped playing this repetitive guitar riff slash chant and noticed that everything outside went completely silent, like pin drop silent which doesn't really make any sense. This is in the middle of the city in an industrial neighborhood, underneath an old oak tree, with twittering possums, cicadas, and frogs, barking dogs in the distance, gunshots, trains slamming into one another, 
and ambulances on the highway, and so on and so forth. It doesn't get silent here. It just doesn't happen. You can always hear something, at least in the distance. It was as if everything was holding its breath. The bugs, the rats, the highways, the houses. Then, this fear just overtakes me. I grab my grandfather's hunting knife, which I keep on the bookshelf in the outhouse. I put down the guitar, and I just listen. But nothing. I creep to the door, and I sense that something is out there. I'm not ready to open the door yet, so I just wait and listen. Still, in utter silence. It's insane. So I'm standing there in my underwear, holding a hunting knife, scared out of my mind, ear to the door, when the flapping of a cat door breaks the silence. I hear Gator come out of the house and go, The moment he does that, all the sounds start up again. The highway, the trains, the cicadas, the parking dogs, and so forth. I step outside to pet him and notice that the sun is coming up. I think, wait, what? How long was I in there? I check the clock on my laptop and it says 5 a.m. If I had to estimate, I would have guessed that I had been playing that song for two hours tops, which would put me at some time around midnight when I noticed the silence. And the silence couldn't have lasted for more than 10 minutes, 15 tops. Somehow I had lost maybe five hours of time, all while writing slash playing a song about the mirrored men, which revolve around the concept of missing time. Now I am aware of how unlikely this all sounds, and I didn't see anything that I can remember, but I did notice a few weird electronic problems after that. Laptop problems, the electricity cutting out for a moment, which to be fair, happens occasionally around here. I don't have this kind of thing happen to me, and the Dana Scully in me is not entirely convinced it was anything other than me freaking myself out and losing track of time. But it's worth mentioning that I was stone-cold sober when it happened. I do wonder if it's possible that what they say is true, if once you start looking at the unexplained, the unexplained starts looking back at you. And the Fox Mulder in me wonders if tapping into that fear part of your brain opens up other things. I don't know. That's my story. I hope you get a kick out of the song. Thanks for all the great stories you've shared on Monsters Among Us, and I hope you keep it up for a long time. Take care and stay safe. Rob. Thank you, Rob. Not only for the song, but for the submission as well. But I gotta say, that song is right up my alley. If you'd like to hear some of Rob's other songs, or if you'd like to join his Song of the Month Club, you can find a link to his Patreon in the show notes for tonight's episode. Thanks again, Rob. Incredible work, and congrats on your upcoming nuptials. I really do love that song. That's my style of music, too, weirdly enough. And of course, he would experience missing time while working on a Mirrored Men song. Alright, now before we dig into the last couple stories of the evening, I have a few announcements. If you love the show and would like to see it continue, please consider leaving five stars and a nice review on your platform of choice. Each review 
Well, each good review goes a long way to keep the show relevant and easy to find. I just restocked the blue Brett Manning t-shirts in the shop, and of course, there's still some mugs left. So visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click on the Shop tab for more details. Don't forget that I'm still looking for outdoorsmen and women submissions. You have until the 17th of October to get those submitted. And be sure to mention early on in the call that it's for the outdoors segment so I can be sure to find the submission more easily. And also don't forget that David Flora of Blurry Photos and I are putting together a Kickstarter campaign near the end of the month. We hope to shoot a documentary that will center around a strange portion of California we've begun calling the Borrego Triangle. So if you have experiences from the Anza Borrego, Palm Springs, Salton Sea, Julian, or that general area, please get a hold of me. And lastly, follow us on social media. And while you're at it, be sure to join the private Facebook group. There's all kinds of fun Halloween-related action taking place there as I speak. Okay, with all that out of the way, let's get back to the spooky stuff. Our next submission of the evening is somewhat interactive. The following is Jeff's call from the state of New York. Hey, Derek. This is Jeff from New York, not the city of upstate New York, small town along the Pennsylvania border. And I've been listening to the podcast for about six months now. I'm almost caught up, but I haven't heard anything quite like my situation so like many people I figured I'd send it to you and see if you or any of the listeners know of something familiar or similar I should say this took place in August of 2016 my house faces the front door of my house faces to the east and I was out in the evening it was uh, August 18th I believe it's the middle of August and this was late in the evening it was 9 o'clock, shortly before I was going to bed. And it was a semi-cloudy, I probably shouldn't say cloudy, sort of hazy sky sort of night, but you could still see some of the stars and definitely the moon was shining through the uh, whatever cloud cover there was and it was already well overhead. Looking to the east from my front porch, I noticed a, what I can only describe as a red rectangle hanging in the sky. Uh, looking east from my house, there's a, a bit of a small valley that goes for probably not even a half mile, and then a ridge. This was above <clears throat> that ridge. And to get rid of the distortion of the street lights, I walked across the street to see what it was I was seeing. And when I got on the other side of that, I could see it a little better. It was up in the air there was all I could describe as just a rectangle I don't mean a square like it was a shape it was just like there was a red rectangle up in the sky and I didn't freeze up like a lot of people do I, I quickly grabbed my camera out of my pocket my phone and opened it up to the camera and zoomed in and took a picture of it and then I thought to myself you know maybe I should be taking video uh, in case something happens. And so in the amount of time it took for me to lower my phone a little bit and pull up the menu and switch from still picture to video, while I was doing that, the red rectangle 
I don't know any other way to describe it, closed from left to right. And I mean, it was like a straight line on the left. It was as if you were looking at an elevator door closing. One moment it was a wide rectangle, and then in under two second stops, it, it just shrunk from left to right on a direct vertical line until it closed and it was gone. And it was just the sky. I, that happened before I could get video, but I did have the picture. The, the only word that came to mind for me in terms of what it could be if it was something paranormal was like a dimension door or something. I am emailing you the original picture along with a daytime picture from the same spot to show that there is nothing up in the air above that ridge. So I'm open to any suggestions as to what would explain this. I wish I had video of it closing. I did not see any ships. I want to make that clear. I didn't see any UFOs. I didn't see anything that looked like craft or aliens or anything. It was just this red rectangular spot or light that closed. So I'll send the photos off to you and uh, thanks for doing the show and keep up the great work. And maybe somebody's seen something like this besides me. Take care. Thank you, Jeff. Of course, I've attached each photo in the show notes for tonight's episode. So go have a look and let me know what you think. Now, be completely honest, this story sounds very familiar. I did some poking around on the internet but couldn't come up with any second reference. So I'll just say, I've heard something similar at some point, somewhere. But whether I find that or not, it still leaves us with the question, what was this thing? At first, I had these wild thoughts that some new type of promotional spot or searchlight was in use. Sort of like a bat signal. But Google was unable to give me a single example of a light with those capabilities. The capabilities to create something like what Jeff saw. So here we are again, left holding a bag full of questions. So in a last-ditch effort to solve this little mystery, I turned to you, the listener. Have any of you out there ever heard of anything like this? Or better yet, maybe one of you have even seen it yourself. If you have, we'd love to hear from you. You can call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab for more options. Thanks again, Jeff. And I'm sorry we didn't have more answers to help you out. Alright, here we are at the bottom of the barrel that was once full of first-hand experiences. But don't fret, because the good stories, they settle at the bottom. And to prove it, I submit to you Jackie's story out of my state of California. Hi, Derek. My name's Jackie, and I come from Southern California, born and raised. I've been listening to your podcast, gosh, for maybe about seven, eight months. My son turned me on to your podcast, and I've been binging on it ever since. Um, I typically like the paranormal stories, uh, simply because that's where the bulk of my experience lies. Uh, as, as, as a child and even to today. The one story that I wanted to call happened recently, maybe 
three years ago, I had recently um, gotten a divorce and uh, moved into a condo um, and uh, stayed there for about a year. And I befriended a neighbor lady who uh, was very kind, but she ended up being a little um, obsessive with the whole new neighbor, new friend thing. So um, at any rate, um, I moved in, uh, realized that this uh, neighbor lady was just a little too... um, high energy. She just really wanted to get to know me in terms of where I came from, just a lot of information. And during that time, I just really wanted just some time alone, um, just alone my thoughts, going through a lot of emotions and, and um, just didn't really want to have someone poking in my business. So I pulled back and just really stopped communicating with her. And at night, I would go to bed, and at the condo, at the time, it was just me and my dog, and I would shut down the condo, go to bed, and for about the first six months, as I'm dozing off to sleep, and sometimes just getting up in the middle of the night, I would look at the doorway to my bedroom. And for the first six months, I would see this image, almost like a a shadow, and I I have to say it was a shadow of a man who would be standing at my doorway. I knew it was there, but I knew it wasn't a physical person, so it didn't startle me. Don't ask me how I could differentiate the two. I don't know. Again, I just had a lot of emotions going on at the time, but I would see it there, and I've seen shadow people before, but this one, the the details of the shadow, um, I could say that it was always the same. It was standing almost as if, oh, you you ever see two, two people who are about to get into a fight, they almost like puff up. You know, their arms kind of extend to the side, their chest protrudes even more, and they almost have this, um, their upper torso kind of pushes out a little bit more towards the front, almost to make themselves look bigger, I guess. I, I don't know. I've never been in a fight, so this is what I've noticed. So it was almost that stance that this shadow man had just almost what I call bucking up. To, to me, maybe, I don't know. But it was always the same stance. He was very broad-shouldered. And I can sense that there was a lot of anger. Um, so I don't know what he was angry at, but for about six months, um, not consistently, but throughout the six months, he would randomly show up, and it was always the same. The same doorway the same um, body shape, the same, you know, almost arms sticking out um, like he's going to bite someone. And anyways, I just learned to ignore it. I 
went to bed. I could see him standing at the doorway and I look and stare and see the image and I would somehow just fall asleep. So, and that happened throughout the six months and I just lived with it. It just became my norm. Well, the last part of my six months while I lived in this condo, it stopped, or at least I didn't notice it. And I was getting ready to move out. They were selling the condo and um, I found another place. So I remember, and I hadn't talked to this neighbor lady for the you know majority of the time. Um, and so I remember having boxes in the back of my truck and I had parked into my little carport and I was taking my boxes out to put them into my garage. And I, uh, where the carport was, there were some mailboxes, you know, community mailboxes. So I heard someone say, hi, Jackie. And I turned and it's that neighbor lady um, who I hadn't spoken to in my. And I said, hi. And she said, are you moving out? And I said, yes, I will be moving out soon. And she said, well, it's good that you're moving out. And I thought, oh, well, okay, whatever. And then she said, we've all been so worried about you and your dog. And I said, what? And she said, we've all been really worried about you and your dog. And it's good that you are leaving. It's good that you're not going to be here anymore. And I said, what are you talking about? Um, she's very dramatic. And uh, I was trying to get her to get to the point. So eventually she says, you haven't heard. And I said, heard what? What is happening? And my dog would be home alone while I worked. So I was concerned that someone was um, bothering her. And she said, you, did, you don't know? And I said, I don't know. What are you talking about? And she said, well... There was a murder-suicide. And I said, in this complex? She said, yes. And I said, where? And she looked at me in this way that she wanted to say it was my condo, but she didn't. And so I picked up on that and I said, did it happen in the condo that I'm living in? And she said, yes. And then immediately I thought about the shadow man. And I said, you know, for the first six months that I lived in this place, there would be a man standing, a shadow man standing at my doorway. Uh, and I could pick up that he was really angry. I said, what happened? And no, I didn't know. I had no idea. She said, well, you can look it up on the Internet. I just don't need to do that. And I never have. I don't want to know. It, I said, what happened? So basically it went like this. Previous, I don't know if they're owners or tenants. Um, I think they were owners. So... The girl who owned it started dating this guy, so they became boyfriend-girlfriend. She invites the boyfriend to move in with her, and they live together. Well, the boyfriend starts to cheat on her, so the girlfriend kicks him out. Well, there's a sliding glass door in the master bedroom. He snuck in and killed her and killed himself in the bedroom, in my bedroom that I stayed in. And apparently... The way I set up my bedroom was the same way she set up her bedroom. And when I explained it to her that that's what I had been experiencing, she said, what did he look like? And I said, 
I don't know. I couldn't pick up details on his face or anything, but I just said he was a very broad-shouldered man, and he was really, really angry. She asked me what he looked like, and I said he, I couldn't pick up detail, but I could tell he was a very broad-shouldered man. He seemed very wide up on the shoulder part, and she said that the boyfriend was a construction worker, and that would expense, she goes, and he was very broad-shouldered. And she asked, did he do anything? Did he say anything? And I said, no, he just stared at me from the doorway, really, really angry. That's what I was picking up. He was very angry. So I I couldn't stay there alone anymore. I would try to find anyone to spend the night with me until it was time for me to move out. Um, I didn't see it for the past, for the last six months that I can remember, but just the fact that I knew that there was a murder-suicide in my place. Nobody told me. I've told other friends. They looked it up, and they knew it was true. Um, there was articles about it. It creeped me out, um, and I moved out and uh, got a new place and found out that there were no deaths, murders, suicides, nothing in my new place. So um, it was an interesting experience, one that... Um, I would never want to relive, but um, it was just one of the most recent experiences that I've had that pretty, that at the time, I thought it was just, honestly, with the divorce just happening, I thought it was just me with my emotions um, up and down. It was a rough time, uh, and I thought it was just me, and come to find out that there was some there was some reality behind it. So it was, it was a little hard to accept. But anyways, uh, that was my experience just a few years ago and wanted to share that with you. And uh, if anyone else had an experience like that, I, I'd sure like to hear about it. Anyways, thanks so much for your podcast. I enjoy it and keep up the good work. Thank you, Jackie. I could have sworn that a renter must disclose tragic deaths that took place in a rental. In fact, I remember a good friend looking at an apartment in West Hollywood, and before the tour was over, the renter disclosed details about a suicide that took place a few years earlier. So if the info I have is correct, it sounds like the rental company can, possibly should be, held accountable. But all that said, the information that adds up is considerable. This seems to be one of those rare times where the facts actually back up the claims. So long story short, I'm happy to hear that you left this location, Jackie. Paranormal activity aside, it can be incredibly difficult to function day to day knowing that something that awful took place mere feet from where you sleep each night. Thank you again, Jackie, for sharing your experience. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. This is an experience that took place less than an hour from the time Kay shared her story. So for more on that, here is Kay from the state of Indiana. Hi. I am going to just call myself Kay. I just had in the last 30 minutes the weirdest experience of my life, I guess. Um, I use 
my town's walking trail, which is constructed from an old railway, as often as I possibly can. And I walk or run about three miles every single morning. I got here a little later today because we had rain this morning. And it's just starting to clear out. So it's a little overcast, but it's bright. You can walk around without not being able to see and it not being dark or cloudy or raining or obstructing my view or anything like that. And, okay, so this trail, if you turn right, a large, large creek that connects to a couple of state parks weaves in and out from underneath the walkway. But if you turn left, there is a basically sport fishing pond and cornfields and not really too many people or anything. So this morning I took a left and went past the great big pond, turned back, was coming back towards the parking lot for my car, and a gentleman is coming towards me, and he's got a great big golden retriever on a leash. And he and I are about five feet apart, and his dog is just absolutely losing its mind, trying to get down the little pathway off of this trail to get down to the pond that stopped the fish. And he and I both looked over, and at the base of this tree, this big black thing goes from, it was like squatted in a little ball, and I honestly didn't notice until it stood up. And <laughs> it stood up, and it takes off towards the direction I'm in. So, say I'm facing 12 o'clock, it goes from 10 o'clock back to 7 o'clock, and it vanishes into the trees. I am 5'7", and this thing is down a little incline from me, and it probably came up to my chest. So, it had to have been, like, 9 feet tall? I don't know. And the man and I both looked at each other while his dog is now whimpering and I go did you see that and he immediately turns around so that he can head towards the parking lot too and he says we didn't see anything at which point he and I both take off running back to our cars and I'm trying to talk to him about what we have just seen and I'm asking him did, what was it what did you see what did you see and he picks up his golden retriever, pops the trunk, like the hatchback of his car, and he goes, we didn't see anything. Go home. So now I've just gotten home, and it's all catching up that I think we might have just seen a Bigfoot, I guess. I feel crazy even just saying that out loud. Um, but like I said, it was often a little slope down to this pond. I'm not a short girl. I'm 5'7". It was probably about my chest height when it stood up. It was furry. It was black. Uh, I should mention, I live in west central Indiana. We have a couple state parks, but we don't have bears. We don't have big cats. We have like little bobcats and maybe coyotes, and this was not that. I worked as a vet tech. I know the animals in this area. I know what they look like. 
we have cows. It's a rural, slightly wooded area in parts, but it's mostly farmland. I have no other explanation for this. Thank you. Thank you, Kay. This is one of those experiences where not being caught up in submissions has ended up biting me in the rear. If I would have heard this call right when it came in, I would have pleaded with Kay to head back to that location, armed with plaster of Paris and maybe a camera. Given the fact that it had been raining that day, the soil just might have been perfect for preserving footprints of the alleged creature. In addition, a few photos could go a long way to help determine the size of the beast. Although rare, Indiana does have a few Bigfoot sightings reported from the area, and many researchers believe that any creatures witnessed in the state would simply be passing through in search of more fitting terrain. A theory like that makes about as much sense as any. Why else would a creature that's known for its ability to stay undetected hang out in a park in the middle of the day, in the middle of a populated state, such as the Hoosier State? Unless, of course, we're talking about a bored teenager on a summer afternoon, anxious to try out his brand new Bigfoot costume after a morning rain. And of course it goes without saying that I wasn't there and I can't visualize the distance, so maybe my theory sounds just as mind-boggling as a Bigfoot in central Indiana. Thanks again, Kay. I'm sorry the gentleman that was with you was so reluctant to investigate I can't imagine how frustrating his behavior was as well. And that's going to do it for this installment. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Pon Abbott, Eddie Lloyd, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the music you're hearing, let's coag music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. Just like that, you've stumbled upon the secret part of Monsters Among Us podcast. And tonight's secret submission comes to us from Carla in the state of Utah. In the early 1990s, on a hot summer day, my sister and I were riding bikes on the shore of Utah Lake. We decided to go for a swim to cool off a bit. We were a few feet from shore, where the water was about waist deep when we both saw a very large, round, serpent or tentacle-looking thing come up from the water in an upside-down U-shape, kind of like a hump. It was about four feet in diameter and black and scaly. We didn't see the head or tail, 
just the hump. The movement was very deliberate and controlled, not like something that just popped up or was bouncing around. After we saw it, we looked at each other in shock and then got out of the water as fast as possible. People try to tell me that I saw a fish. I know what fish look like and this was not a fish. I have also been told that it was a snake. It could not have been a snake because a snake would swim across the top of the water and not come up in the way that it did. Plus, the water and climate are too cold for a snake that size to live. I know what I saw, and someone who was not there cannot tell me what it was or what it wasn't. I never went in that lake again until this year, 2019, when me and my other sister watched a shark movie while floating on the lake at night, just a few miles down from where the mysterious creature was seen so many years before. I love the podcast. Thank you, Carla from Utah. Thanks, Carla. Now, Utah Lake is a natural lake, so that does lend a bit of clout to Carla's claims. Now, perhaps something has always existed in the lake and has yet to be identified. But Utah Lake has seen extensive commercial fishing over the years, and one would think that at least one fisherman would have stumbled upon this mysterious species in one of their nets. So if it is a monster, and it didn't originate in Utah Lake, is it possible that it's a normal animal that's grown to mammoth proportions? One animal in particular actually comes to mind. A creature that can grow to lengths of over 4 feet and weigh over 100 pounds, and that is found in abundance in that lake, a fish known as the common carp. Now, fleeting glimpses like Carla's are near impossible to get to the bottom of. The details are often just as murky as the water, and everything seems to happen at a near incomprehensible speed. So instead, oftentimes, we are left with a story. And in this case, we are extremely grateful for Carla for sharing hers. Thank you again, Carla, for sharing that tale, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night.